book. We're doing an expository Bible study, meaning verse by verse, section by section uh, study of this book. And tonight we are going to, uh, we found ourselves leaving off in chapter 4, um, I think around verse 11 or so. Uh, so we're going to continue where we left off two weeks ago. We didn't have Bible study last week because of uh, the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, so I'm just going to do a quick recap of the beginning of the fourth chapter to kind of bring us back up to the context of where we are now. But before we do that, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. May Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the grace of another day, the grace to do another Bible study. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit to teach this text well, to give a good expository uh, treatment of the text before us. Uh, Lord, help us to see the gospel in the Old Testament. Help us to see Christ in the Old Testament. Help us to see, Lord, how uh, we learn about you and your character and your person in these passages. Lord, help us to see the shadows and types of Christ um, and ultimately Lord um, give us illumination of this passage tonight all of us uh, to understand what your word says may it not just be an exercise in head knowledge but Lord may you apply what we learn tonight uh, to our hearts I bless those who are in here listening and those who are listening on Facebook and those who listen on the sermon podcast in Christ's name Amen so we're in the fourth chapter. Uh, we left out, left off around the uh, ninth, tenth verse two weeks ago. Um, the end of chapter three, we saw where uh, God allowed Moses to go to the top of the mountain to to look over into the promised land to the north, south, east, and west. Uh, but the Lord told him he would not enter in. Then beginning of the fourth chapter, uh, Moses had called. Uh, Israel to go into and possess the land and to be obedient in doing that and then in verse 7 he declares for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him and that was a great declaration that we uh, talked about the faithfulness of God to covenant Israel and how faithful he is to his covenant people and then verse 11, it picks up, which says, Then you came near. And just remember, the first four chapters, again, are recalling the 40 years of wilderness wanderings before we get into uh, the next section. Uh, the first four chapters, again, are recalling uh, Israel's history in the wilderness. So verse 11 gives the historical uh, revelation of the uh, covenant uh, principles and it talks about verse 10 the experience at Horeb and then verse 11 then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness cloud and thick darkness and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire you heard the sound of the words but saw no form you only heard a voice so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments. So Moses is referring back to what we read in Exodus, the 20th chapter, when God had given them the Ten Commandments. 
and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess so they had the visual experience of seeing the fire and the cloud of God's presence the great thing about Israel the advantage that they had in the wilderness is that in essence they saw the physical presence of God where they saw his presence rather manifested not seeing God himself but they saw the manifestation of God's presence in many different ways they had the pillar of cloud by day and the cloud of fire by night uh, they had the fire around the mountain uh, which is a visual experience uh, of, of God's presence and then they heard his voice you see that in verse 12 they had the auditory experience so they had the visual experience and then they had the experience of hearing God's voice none of us have heard God's voice but we have God's word which serves as God's voice uh, we're not going to hear the audible you know voice of God unless we're reading his word out loud so but during Israel's time they actually heard God's voice we don't know how it sounds scripture is silent on that so we're silent on that uh, but we can imagine God's voice is like very profound and deep you know that's what that's what we would we would visualize in, in our feeble uh, human minds um, and then so verse 13 he declared the covenant and um, the recorded revelation of the covenant was the ten commandments and God gave Moses the commission to teach covenant faithfulness to his people in verse 14 the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them and the word observe means basically to do or to perform not to just look at them when we think about observing something we think about you know you're looking at something you're kind of checking it out but in this context when it says observe it means to do them you know to take heed to them to to perform them so the purpose of the ten commandments is not just to have the ten commandments but the purpose is to perform them, to do them. That's why God gave those commandments. He didn't give them just for the sake of giving them to him. Say, okay, these are your commandments. You know, a lot of people talk about the Ten Commandments. I remember, um, what, 10, 15 years ago, you had the great Ten Commandments uh, controversy when uh, Roy Moore was in the Supreme Court down uh, in the state of Alabama. And, uh, you know, it was a big controversy over the Ten Commandments being right there in the Supreme Court there was a big fight over it and they were talking about removing the Ten Commandments and I remember that was about maybe 15 years ago or so it was a big big to do over that he was known as the Ten Commandments judge you know that was his uh, claim to infamy you know um, but it's, it's okay to have Ten Commandments in a public building or a government building well is it okay I would say no uh, I mean, it's a good symbol, but the problem is, is that you can't force people to obey the commandments of God. I mean, it's good to have them as a symbol, but what good does that do if you don't do them uh, or if you perform them? And unbelievers are going to see it and say, okay, yeah, all right, that's Ten Commandments. So what? Okay, so putting the Ten Commandments there, it may send a statement because, in essence, all of our laws or most of our laws 
you know, some of them come from the Ten Commandments. You know, not murdering, not stealing, not bearing false witness, you know, telling a lie, perjuring yourself. Uh, you know, those Ten Commandments are the basis for our uh, moral law. And that's good. But putting them there is not going to make a person that right. Just like we talked about this past Sunday with obeying the law. Uh, we have laws all throughout land, but laws don't change hearts. You know, uh, God changes our hearts. If anything, laws exposes our hearts, you know, shows us how wicked and, and sinful we are because we're always breaking them. Uh, so the Ten Commandments is the same way. Uh, so the purpose of them was to teach them that they might do what? Observe them in the land that they were going to cross over to possess because these were the only people who had these commandments. Remember, Israel was going over to these foreign nations. Uh, so they were to be a light and example to them. So <clears throat> now he transitions to idolatry. And we'll talk about this. So it says in verse 15, take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. In other words, they didn't see a physical manifestation of God. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure the likeness of a male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or fish verse 19 take heed lest you lift your eyes to heaven and when you see the sun the moon and the stars all the hosts of heaven you feel driven to worship them and serve them hmm, what does that sound like astrology which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I will not cross over to Jordan, that I will not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over to Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God with which he made with you. And make yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So let's look at this section. So we see the commandment to do what? Avoid idolatry. Even in the New Testament, Paul says, flee idolatry flee it because what does idolatry do it takes our hearts away from the Lord that's what it does and in those ancient times idolatry was primarily in the form of uh, creating images making images after other things and not only making them but actually worshiping them and that's what they were uh Doing So God said, you can't make uh, images of anything. And think about this. It wasn't just of people. It was of animals in the air. Animals that are on the ground and fish of the sea. What does this show us about the human heart? We can make idols out of anything. Not just out of man. You know, Paul talked about this in Romans 1 about the rebellion of man against God that we worship uh, the creation or created things 
rather than the creator God who is blessed forever. He says that in Romans 1. Man's heart is an idol factory, as John Calvin, the great reformer, said. So God to Israel, don't just make idols out of other people. Don't make images out of animals. That shows you how prone our hearts are to idolatry. That we make idols, our hearts, we can make idols out of anything. You can make an idol out of your favorite chair in church. You can. Visitor comes in and sits in your chair. You may not say anything to that visitor, but in your heart, you're like, that's where I always sit. That's where my grandma used to sit. You know, I remember growing up in church, going to church with my aunt. Uh, my aunt Ella sat on one side of the church, my aunt Zette sat on the other side, and I would sit with my aunt Ella most of the time. And she sat in the same seat every Sunday. The same seat. And when it was crowded in there, like on fourth Sunday, uh, when we had communion and everything, she would make sure she got there early so that no one would sit in her seat. You know, and we had pews. We didn't have, like, chairs like this. We had those long pews. It was a big church, but um, she made sure she got there early so that no one could sit in her seat. And maybe somebody knew that that was her seat. Like, oh, we're not going to sit there. That's where uh, Ella Rome sits. But that could become an idol. Think about that. Your vehicle can become an idol. Your home can become an idol. A favorite pet item. Do you know that hoarding is idolatry? I'm a, I got things I don't need in my house. I do. I was joking my wife. I said, we need to get one of those dumpsters that you see outside of people's houses and just start throwing stuff in it. Because I have things that I don't actually need. Like, oh, I get, I'll use it. When I, no, no, I won't. The only, the only way I know it's there is if, I, if I'm looking for something and I happen to stumble upon it. You know, oh, I didn't know this was here. I, I forgot all about that. Why? Because I'm, a, I'm an idolater. That's how, that's idolatry. You're, you're, you're worshiping something. Man, if, if, if this has gotten rid of, my, my life is just ruined, although I didn't even know I had it. Exactly. So our hearts are prone to idolatry and so many you know we think of just images and everything but no it goes beyond that so the covenant relationship the, the importance of this is the covenant relationship must not attempt to contain or limit God worshiping graven images limits God it puts God on the same plane as what he has created so that's why God was telling them that. He says, look at verse 16, unless you act corruptly. So idolatry is corrupting. It is, it is, it is corrupting the worship of God. Graven images attempt to contain or to limit God. It's saying that God is like us. God is like what he has created when he's not. He's God. He's sovereign. He is over his creation. He's not one with his creation. So the covenant relationship must not worship the creation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We, we are supposed to flee from it. We're not to seek out opportunities to become idolaters. We have to flee from it as much as we can. And that's a battle that we will always continue to fight instead of giving in to it. We are supposed to fight against our uh, propensity to become idolaters. 
So he talks about this. Uh, male or female, animals, winged birds, uh, things that creep on the ground. And then he talks about um, other created things. Verse 19, lift up your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the earth as a what? Heritage, as a memorial to his glory. That's what that means. God gave us, I, I, when I pulled in uh, not too long, I looked at the moon. The moon is in the, in the first half quarter. It's like half the moon. You can see, and I said, Lord, this is just amazing that from our view, you can only see half the moon. Like it looks like a perfect half, like it's just cut in half. And all the moon, the moon gets its sunlight, gets its light from the sun rays reflecting off of the earth. Just think about that. The moon doesn't give light itself. The moon gets its light from the light, the sun, light from the sun bouncing off the atmosphere of the earth and illuminating the moon. Just, I mean, I said, man, that's just amazing. And now you can only see half of it lit. That's amazing. But am I supposed to worship the moon? You know, you had that, what was it, the blood moon uh, eclipse what, last month. And the moon doesn't actually turn red. It's the atmosphere. But you have people who use it as an occasion to worship the moon. People who worship, uh, you know, uh, demonism, basically, it's all demonic. Uh, astrology and all that stuff, they, they worship the blood moon and all that nonsense. It's idolatry. People worship the stars. The, you know, hear people say, oh, if the, if the if my lucky stars just align, then, you know, this, that, and the other will happen. You know, I have lucky stars. You, you, there's even a lucky star cereal, and it's been around for a long time. It is. I think, yeah, it is. It's a cereal called Lucky Stars. Lucky Charms, that's it. Yeah. Basically the same thing. Exactly. It has stars in it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Moon too. So, so you have people that worship the moon. They look at astrology. They they, they look at their match. Oh, I'm a Libra. My personality is like this. Or I'm a uh, Cancer, and you know, I'm nothing like my zodiac sign. But you have people who worship that. They look for their compatible match. Who's who's you know through zodiac signs. The zodiac is something that was made up by someone who worships the stars. It's not biblical. It doesn't come from scripture. But that was man-made, uh, the zodiac sign. Okay? So we're not to worship those things. The sun, that's uh, part of what Egypt worshiped. That's why God said here, the Lord took them out of the land of Egypt because one of the gods that Egypt worshiped was the sun god. I think his name was Ra. The Egyptians were idolaters. So, so why did God tell Israel this? Because they as a nation were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt and, and the Egyptians worshiped all these uh, gods and also the pagan nations that they were going through and that they were going to conquer worshiped all these gods too. So God was warning them to be faithful to his covenant and do not become idolaters. Do not become idolaters. So, it says in verse 20 again, 
the Lord took you out and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt this is kind of an allusion to the difficulties of slavery in Egypt it was like an iron furnace for them so this was showing uh, the redemption that they received um, by being delivered from Egypt and that points to our redemption that we have in Christ you know sin is like an iron furnace it is a place sin is oppressive sin is a place of oppression and what does God do he delivers us out of that oppression and then so verse 21 the Lord was angry with you with me rather for your sake so the blessing of course was withheld for Moses but this present generation in verse 2 you shall cross over and possess that good land so he was talking about the the present generation but verse 23 again beware not to fall into idolatry again he tells them in verse 23 what take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a carved image so he reminds them again take heed don't do it obey the commandments of God beware not to fall into idolatry that is a negative uh, encouragement don't do it okay don't fall into idolatry do not no trespassing don't trespass okay don't become idolaters that's what he's telling the new generation remind them don't forget and why should they not forget verse 24 tells us for the Lord your God is a what consuming fire and what does that mean God is he has great zeal for his glory he will not give his glory to another that's what Isaiah tells us he I am the Lord and I will not give my glory to another God is a jealous God he is zealous for his glory he's not jealous like a a boyfriend is jealous when he sees his girlfriend talking to somebody else that's not the kind of jealousy this image of God as a consuming fire is a is a warning to Israel against disobedience especially idolatry when you commit idolatry you're committing spiritual adultery against God that's why he's jealous he is a jealous God he is a consuming fire Isaiah 42 and 8 look at that right quick um, this is what Isaiah 42 and 8 says Let's turn to that right quick. Yep. This is alluding to what we just read. Isaiah 4 and 2 and 8. Yeah, I'm sorry. Isaiah 42 and 8 what did I say 
Did I say 42? Oh, 42 and 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carved images. That's harking back to what we just read about the idolatry thing. God, God will not give his praise to an idol. Look at Isaiah 48 and 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. How shall I, how, I'm sorry, for how should my name be profaned or blasphemed and I would not do what give my glory to another he will not give his glory to another why because he's a jealous God and like I said not jealous like somebody having a little temper tantrum you know no he, 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 he's, he's holy he is worthy of our worship because he alone is God. Our idols didn't make us. Our idols uh, didn't create us. Our idols can't redeem us from sin. Our idols make us more sinful. Our idols lead us to make more sinful choices. So no glory belongs to them. We can't look at our idols and say, just like they did in uh, Exodus 32, they created, they made the golden calf and said, this is who brought us out of, out of Egypt. But the, that idol didn't give them that manna that they were eating from. It was it was it was God. It was the Lord God. It was Yahweh who did it. So Moses is saying, "The Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God." Then he talks about the future. He says, "When you beget children and grandchildren." And have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you. Well, no, we say I swear by heaven and earth that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Man, you know what? That happened. When they were taken to Babylonian captivity. When the northern kingdom was taken uh, into uh, Assyrian captivity uh, first, I think it was in 722 B.C. Uh, by Shalmaneser uh, I and the Assyrians came in and raided the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes, and scattered them throughout all the land. They called them the lost tribes of Israel because they were literally scattered throughout the known world. Why? Because they had violated this command right here. That's, you know, a few hundred years later, but that's what happened. The Lord would scatter you among the peoples. And there you will serve God's 
the work of men's hands, work in stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. So they are to preserve this covenant. They are to preserve it. They are to be faithful and obedient to it. And Moses is reminding them of that to, to be obedient. Go back to verse chapter four, verse one. Looking at the context again. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments, which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land. The Lord your God, the Lord God of our fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Okay. So in verse five, surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord, my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land, which you go in to possess. Verse six, therefore be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So this is why God gave them these commands so that they could be a light to the pagans. So going to where we are now, that, that verse, those first six verses in the fourth chapter set the context, the backdrop for all these commands that he's given them. That's why I want to go back and just kind of, we could be reminded of what Moses said in the beginning. Hear the commands of the Lord, observe them. Okay? Don't be idolaters. What's going to happen? Huh? Exactly. But God warned them through his prophet. Obey the commands. These are the commands. These are the statutes. This is what you ought to do. So they have a commitment, a challenge to not break covenant with God. They have this challenge. And so verses 26 to 28 speaks to future land banishment. He would call God to witness against them. They would utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess and will not prolong your days in it. So they're not going to be in that land forever. If you begin to read the book of Joshua, at the end of Joshua, Joshua gave his farewell speech to Israel. He says, as me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you know, so forth and so on. Israel didn't conquer all their enemies. And in the book of Judges, the new generation forgot God. They forgot the God of their fathers. And it just got worse and worse. It just slowly descended because they did what they forgot these commands of God. So what was that going to be? Slaughter. You will perish. You will be utterly destroyed. And then a scattering. And then servitude. The Babylonians came in and, and not only did they siege uh, Jerusalem, but they killed people too. They slaughtered them. The Assyrians did the same thing when they came in. They seized the Hebrews, the Jewish nation, and they killed 
them too. There was mass slaughter. That's why God says they you will be what, utterly destroyed. And then you will be scattered. And then you will become what? Servants. There you will serve gods. The work of men's hands. They will serve idols. And those idols are what? They're futile. They neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. They're impotent. And that's how idols are. They're, they're impotent. They can't do anything. They can't redeem. They can't save. At all. We just read that this past Sunday in our responsive uh, reading. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't eat, and they cannot smell at all. And Psalm 135 talks about that that we just read this past Sunday. So they're going to become servants. But that's that great word in scripture. Verse 29. From there you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him if you seek him. With all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress. And all these things come upon you in the latter days. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. When people tell you. That the God of the Old Testament is not a merciful God. Show him this verse. Deuteronomy 4 and 31. Those people say they don't read the Bible. They just repeat what they hear. God is a merciful God. What will he do? He will not forsake you nor destroy you. Nor forget the covenant of your fathers. Which he swore to them. Now latter days means like the, the end of days when. When Christ comes back to establish uh, his kingdom, that's what he means uh, by that. Now, God is merciful, not because they deserve it. He's merciful because he's merciful. So they will see the faithfulness of God persist when they repent. When we repent and turn from our sins, guess what? We see the faithfulness of God in action. We see that when we turn to him, God is merciful upon those who turn to him, even those who are unsaved. When you turn to the Lord and believe, guess what? You will experience his mercy. Right now, if you are an unbeliever, you are under the judgment of God. You're under the condemnation of your sins. You're under the guilt of your sins. But when you repent and turn to God and believe the gospel, guess what? You experience the mercy of of God and that's what we see here with Israel they will seek and find God they will return to God and obey him and we see three evidences of God's compassion in verse 31 he will not forsake or destroy you and he will not well, he will not forsake you and he will not destroy you and he will not forget the covenant of his fathers which he swore to them and we talk about this with we look at Israel when they were in captivity. God did not completely wipe them out. He brought them back out of exile. We saw that uh, when we went through uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. God brought them back, brought the remnant back. And we saw in the book of uh, Esther where uh, Haman had plotted to destroy them. But God used Ezra and Mordecai to thwart Haman's plans. 
to exterminate the Lord's people. All of this was because of what? The covenant of their fathers that he had swore to them. God is faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his covenant promises. And that's what he was swearing to Israel. And so the last part of this, he says, verse 32, For as now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. This is the uniqueness of God, the uniqueness of Israel's God. And listen to these questions I love here. This reminds me of uh, verse 7. Like what great nation is there that has uh, God so near to them? And these questions remind me of this. So he has verse 32. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? What's the answer? No. Or did God ever try and go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? No. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is no other beside him. Park right there for a second. So this is like an investigation into God's uniqueness that Moses is proposing to this people. This is showing the uniqueness of God. There's no one like our God. And what I mean by our God is our covenant God, the God of those who belong to him. Not just a general God, no, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created the heavens and earth. This is the God that we're talking about. We're not talking about a general God. We're talking about the specific God, the, the one true God. There's no God like our God. You know, a lot of people give up and give thanks to God. You see some celebrities do it sometimes. They, they make uh, debaucherous music and have sinful lifestyles, but they win the war. They'll say first, I want to thank God. What are you thanking God for? Through God's common grace. Yes, he has blessed you through his common grace. But it's nothing special about that because you're a sinner and you need a savior. It's nothing special that you did to earn God's blessing on your life, on your musical talents, on your acting skills, or whatever the case may be, whatever accomplishment that you have. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who God is. And that goodness that God shines on you or gives you is for you to turn to him in repentance. Not to think somehow that God is on my side. God must be on my side. I must be doing something right if God has blessed me like this. No, you're not. No, you're not. That is a lie. These questions that Moses asked show the uniqueness of God. 
So he's asking four rhetorical questions here. And the intent of these questions is to show Israel how unique their God is above all the other gods of all the other nations. No one else heard God's voice but who? Israel. No other nation did and lived. No other nation heard God's voice but Israel. Israel was the only nation that God took for himself. He did not take them out of the midst of another nation. He didn't go among the Canaanites and Amorites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Hittites. He didn't go among those nations and take people out and formed Israel. He didn't do that. So God took them as his own people. He is unique. And then verse 36, out of the heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power. Again, this was a continued demonstration of God's uniqueness. They personally experienced God by what hearing him and seeing him work. And they personally benefited from it. Verse 37 again, because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. So God was the one who chose them. This was an assurance that God gave them. That God chose them. It wasn't anything that Israel did. And this points to our salvation. God chooses those whom he saves. That's called a doctrine of election. God didn't save us because of anything special about us. Salvation is purely by grace through faith. It is purely by grace through faith. It is not, has nothing to do with anything we've done. It is purely by his grace that he saves us, that he chooses us. And as Dr. R.C. Sproul famously uh, answered the question, uh, why did God choose us? Because he chose us. <laughs> it was his divine prerogative to choose whomever he chose for salvation. It was God's divine prerogative to choose Israel as his covenant people. It wasn't anything special that they did. And we'll see that later on in, in chapter 6 when God talks about that. Chapter 6 rather than chapter 8. So because he loved your fathers, verse 37, therefore he chose their descendants after them. And he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power. Driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you. To bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance as it is this day. Israel personally benefited from being chosen by God. Therefore, know this day and consider in your heart. So Moses telling them, ponder on this, meditate on this, think about this. 
was we would say, let this marinate in your mind, in your heart. And what is that? That the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. This is the third time we've seen this being said. Moses telling them again and again and again, there's no other God. In church, God is telling the same thing. There's no other God but God. There's none beside him. There's none like him. There's no one over God. There's no one under God. There's no one equal to God. Who is God? No one. Above the earth, on the earth, or under the earth is what I meant to say. Who is like our God? There is only one God. There is only one. And that's what he was telling them. There is no other. And so, since that has been established, what is Israel to do? They're to do three things. Obey, prosper, and persevere. Look at verse 40. You shall therefore... Keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. So obey. That's the closing challenge. Okay. He's your God. He is the only God. Church, God is our God. He is the only God. Not the idols that we make. Not the idols that we worship. Man is not our God. People are not our God. And you know, I was thinking about this when I was reading this. How do we make people our God? You can say, oh, I don't worship people. Well, do you have fear of man? Are you afraid of what people may think of you if you speak biblical truth? If you have fear of man, you worship man. You're an idolater. If you're afraid to speak biblical truth, or just truth, period. You're afraid that so oh, someone won't like you anymore. Someone may unfriend you or whatever the case may be. You don't want to step on toes. And you're not trying to do it on purpose. I mean, you're just speaking truth. But if you're afraid of people's reaction, you're worshiping man. You're an idolater. You, 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 you have fear of man. And so that means that, okay, God is not your God, but man is. Again, there is no other God. Truth is truth. And we as believers should never be afraid to speak it lovingly, but still speak it. The truth is going to be offensive because it's true. The gospel is an offense. The gospel is a stumbling block to those who don't believe. But we are still called to what? Proclaim truth. Proclaim biblical truth. And we are to obey it. Whether people want to hear it or not, we obey the truth. And we command them to obey it. They may not like it, but we still command them to obey it. Hey, if you're in my house, there's certain things you can't do and say. If you don't like it, don't come to my house. <laughs> it's 
Bottom line. I don't like profanity. Don't come over my house cursing. I don't want to hear it. You take that somewhere else. That's where I am. I don't want to hear that. That's just me. If you don't like it, don't come to my house. I still love you, but you can't come to my house. I don't want to hear that. And we can't be afraid to stand on on uh, biblical truth because, again, that's where obedience comes in. So we keep his commandments, which he commanded us that. And, and so we have the obedience. And what happens when we obey? That it may go well with you and with your children. You know, when it says go well, it means that you may prosper, live long. I mean, you're going to live to be 120 years old. But what it means is you have a better quality of life by obeying God's commandments. Okay? So you obey and you will prosper that it may go well with you and your children after you. So that's what obedience does. Obedience to God gives a better quality of life. Think about people who don't obey God. Think about people who rebel against God in your life, in your family, who are living a life of rebellion. Are they truly prospering? Do they have a better quality of life? Or is it always drama going on in their life? They're always in the struggle. They always got mess going on. They're always mad and angry about stuff. They're always complaining about things. Why? They're not obeying God. So they're not going to have a good quality of life. There is, is always something going on. <laughs> Y'all know people like there's always something going on with them. Like, man, like it's always something. Well, because you're not obeying God. You're, you're in rebellion. And this is a consequence of that. There's a certain covenant promise that comes with obeying God. You're going to have a better quality of life, a better outcome in life, a better outlook on life if you live according to God's commands. And that's what he was telling Israel here. It doesn't mean you're never going to have times of you know suffering and all those things. That's not what it means. But overall, your quality of life is going to be better for you when you do it God's way it always is better I was telling the young man the other day get married before you have children the order is uh, you know the old song um, so and so sitting in the tree cast says ing first came love then came marriage then came a baby in the baby carriage now it's First comes lust, then comes a baby, and then I may get married if I feel like it. Or I may just shack up and live in, in, in uh, sin, cohabitating, shacking up. That's what it is now. Living in rebellion against God. And guess what? That's not God's order. And it's going to cause disorder. It's going to cause disorder with you and your relationship. It's going to cause disorder with you and your children. Obey God's commands, and guess what? It will go well with your children after you. And then the perseverance part. And that you may what? Prolong your days 
in the land. Prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Man, that's a great promise. That you may live long in that land. That's, that's the perseverance part that comes with obeying God's commands. That was a blessing that came with that. The land would be theirs permanently, people. Think about that. It was going to be theirs into perpetuity, permanently. But what did they do? They fumbled the bag, as the young people said. They fumbled the ball. They, they messed up. We'll see that later on. But God gave them a promise. Obey me. It will go well with you. And you will prolong your days in the land for all time. You will never have to worry about not being in this land. So that was God's covenant promise to them. It was their promise, his promise to them. And they just could not do that. What does this show us? It's like we said this past Sunday. Our hearts are prone to sin against God. We can't perfectly obey God's commands. That's why we need a savior. The promised land that God had given them, they did not permanently dwell in, but the promised land that we have, which is heaven, we will permanently dwell in. We will be in heaven for all eternity. Remember, the promised land in the Bible was a picture of heaven. But heaven will have no sin. And it will be a permanent resting place for all believers. All believers. Also, we learn that God is a merciful God. God rewards obedience. God rewards obedience. We strive to obey God every day with the Spirit's help. And God does reward obedience to his commands, to his principles that he's, he's given us in Scripture. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. Amen. He knows we're not going to. Amen. Exactly. And 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 the fact that he he does know that that's why he sent us a savior. Yeah, he sent us a savior. But we see the holiness of God and this that God is holy and he he demands holiness. He demands perfection. And the point is we can't do it. We can't be perfect. God is not unjust to demand perfection because he's God. What else would God demand? God is perfect. So he's going to demand perfection because he's God. He's not a sinner like us. God is going to demand perfection. We can't reach that perfection. We can't attain to that perfection. That's why we need a savior. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law. Jesus perfectly obeyed all the commands. Our savior perfectly obeyed God. And because of that, he obeyed the law for us, as we just read this past Sunday. He obeyed God's law perfectly for us. That was part of the work that Christ did. Because we couldn't possibly do it. 
I'm going to do these last few verses here, this transition, verses 41 through 43. This is talking about the cities of refuge. All right, just right quick, because next we'll get into uh, the second speech that Moses makes about the, uh, the covenant uh, stipulations. So this is ending his first speech. Moses set apart three cities on the side, this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in, in time past, that by fleeing to one of these cities he might uh, live. Uh, Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau of the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manasites. So these are cities of refuge. And what are they for? They were for those who committed manslaughter. That's, this is where that law comes from. Manslaughter is to kill someone unintentionally. You don't mean to kill someone. Okay. You kill the neighbor unintentionally or not having hatred in your heart toward them. That's manslaughter. And the purpose is basically to have a destination for uh, a manslayer. So it gives the destination for a manslayer, it gives the definition, and then, then it gives the, the destiny, then it gives the three cities of refuge. So the person who committed manslaughter, they had a place that they could go. And this was the type of obedience that God was, uh, was calling for. So a person who had manslaughter wasn't put to death because, you know, man, that's the difference between manslaughter and murder. You know, murder is the intent on killing someone. And I'm going to give this as a great example. We talked about this back when it was going on, the the trial of, um, what's the cop, the police officer that, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, George Floyd. They, he was convicted of second-degree murder. But murder implies intent. So murder is saying that Derek Chauvin wanted to kill George Floyd. But that wasn't proven. But because of the emotion of everybody's emotions and the emotions of the case, he got convicted of second degree murder, saying that he had intent. It should have been a manslaughter charge. Now, he was wrong for doing what he did, but it should have been a manslaughter charge instead of murder because uh, he died as a result. It was more of uh, the fentanyl than anything that he was on. Uh, but... It was contributory. Uh, Chauvin was con uh, a contributor to his death, but it didn't ultimately cause it. So, but he was charged with what? Murder. It's a difference between murder and manslaughter. And biblically, we have to remember that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that. I mean that's true, but that doesn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I understand that part, but that still doesn't mean that he meant to kill him or he meant for him to die because that's what murder is. You think about this. The Bible clearly defines manslaughter. What does it say? Who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, without having hatred in their heart. It was never proven that Derek Chauvin hated George Floyd or that he had a vendetta against him. I mean, he had run-ins with him before, which is like a lot of police officers do with certain criminals because that's what he was. And police officers have certain run-ins with certain criminals, so they kind of know each other in that way. Yeah, I know, so yeah, blah, you know, whatever. 
but doesn't mean that he had hatred in his heart toward him. That was never proven. And it, it was it proven that he intentionally killed him. No. So he shouldn't have been charged with murder. But manslaughter, what he did contributed to his death. Just imagine if you get prosecuted for murder because you hit someone at a crosswalk. You didn't know the person. You didn't mean to kill them. But they charge you with murder. You had no malice in your heart toward that person. You just didn't see them. You were looking down at your phone or just going too fast. You didn't murder that person. You committed manslaughter because you didn't have malice. You didn't intentionally try to kill that person. So this scripture shows us what manslaughter looks like. It's the unintentional taking of a life. And so with that, they had cities of refuge that they were uh, to go to. And it combines uh, the concept of mercy and justice. It don't mean that they don't have to serve jail time and all that, just like a person who commits manslaughter. But there's a certain mercy that comes with that because they didn't intend on killing someone. They didn't have a hatred and malice in their heart toward them. Amen? So next week we'll begin with uh, the introduction of God's law in uh, chapter 4 verses 44 and then they're going to review the Ten Commandments again so we'll look at that next week so let us pray as we close Father thank you for your word uh, Lord we thank you that you are a merciful God and Lord most of all we thank you that there is none other besides you that there is no God like you Lord there is no other God you are the covenant keeping God you are the faithful God you are the God who keeps covenant. You are the God who saved a people unto yourself. You saved covenant Israel and Lord under new covenant. You have people whom you have saved to yourself. And Father, we thank you for that grace. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. Lord, help us to flee from idolatry, to not be idolaters. Lord, as we said tonight, we have idols in so many different areas of our life. We uh, as Calvin said, John Calvin, our hearts are a uh, factory of idols. Well, help us to flee idolatry when we see it creeping up in our hearts. And Lord, just bless our time in your word tonight. And as we look forward to the Lord's day, uh, may your grace and mercy be with us until we meet again. In Christ's name, amen.